0: Welcome to Bethel Cleveland's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information on this podcast or how to get connected, go to BethelCleveland.com. I heard the most perfect example the other day, so I'm just going to tell it to you like I heard it. So it's this argument between two guys. It's a reel on Instagram. Don't judge me. Um, This guy goes, so if we were created by God, who created God? God. And, yeah, I know, right? It was a good one, right? Yes, yeah, it's so good, right? Like, and he goes, well, it would be like the fish wondering how humans breathe without gills. And confusing at first. It's because the fish is applying the laws of the fishbowl to something entirely outside of it. So it makes sense for us to think, you know, well, if we were created, who created God? Because that is our fishbowl, our humanity earthly logic, is that everything we see and everything we've experienced has been created. You, me, the chair you're sitting in, the walls that were built, everything has been made. So it's it's totally outside of our human logic to imagine Something that was not created but has always been, right? And so, so often we try to take the logic of the fishbowl and we try to attribute those qualities to who God is. We start to think about, you know, even in regards to to promises, obviously God has to have the option to break a promise because that is the logic of the fishbowl, that there's not been a promise that a human has uttered at one point in their life that they haven't broken or didn't come through on. So the idea of God just being simply true to his word is foreign to us because we think that there's always some other foot to be dropped, right? Right? But that's just not who he is. He's completely different. Just like the fish can't comprehend air and lungs and walking around, neither can we comprehend the ways of God. They're so much higher than us. So time, space, matter, he created all those things. It says in the scripture that the earth is his footstool. It's where he puts his feet up, right? It's not like it's an extension of his words, but it's something he created externally out of himself. So... Let me go down the rabbit hole real quick, and I promise not to take you down too deep in this. Well, you know, no promises. Um, did you know that God is complete within himself? You see, God didn't create the universe because he was desperate to be loved or because he needed something from you. God is always been complete within himself. He's the Trinity, the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, three distinct beings in one. It's a mystery that we've been trying to fishbowl logic for like a thousand years, right? And within the Trinity, here's another uh, complicated concept for us. The laws of the fishbowl say that there always has to be hierarchy to determine who's in charge. Who has the bigger stick controls what happens, right? We feel like we need to flex authority to keep things in line because we're not at perfect unity within another. How many of you work externally outside your home and are part of a team? Do your teammates agree with you? Like 10% of the time? <laughs> mm. But in, in, in the Trinity, I mean, I mean, you guys were like, yeah, all the time. Oh, but you see, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they're in perfect unity within one another. They're mutually submitted to each other. So is there a need for hierarchy when each person in that trinity is united and has each other's best interest at heart and is totally on the same page? Where does the accountability or the checks and balances need to happen when they're all oriented towards the same vision, right? So if God created us because he was lonely, and that means he lacks something, and he's creating us to fill a need. And I want to ask you something. If God created the universe, how big do you think his needs are if he had needs? Probably real big, right? And what happens if we don't satisfy those? That's where abuse comes in, right? Because like, when you start to have a relationship with someone to get something out of them, when they don't meet the need, you have a couple of options. You can let it go and accept you're not going to get it, or you can go the fleshly route that says, if, if you love me, then you're going to let me control you until you give me what I need, right? And that is a self-focused mentality that never leads to a healthy, thriving relationship, right? So, but the fact that he's complete within himself means that we're created from a from a, a posture, from a position of fullness and passion. So I have a question for you. If you have kids, I know a lot of you have kids in here, right? You all look like a bunch of family people. That's, I mean that in a good way. <laughs> You do. Family people in a good way. Family of God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, you're worthy. I'm going to my car now. Okay. <laughs> so if you have kids, did you make them because your body <laughs> basically needed something, right? Like Pastor Todd and Nancy, they're like, I think we're going to have kids. We'll have Mark. Mark in the back there. Did you create them because you needed a kidney? <laughs> Did you need something for Did you have kids? Because you're like, oh, man, like, you know, the cirrhosis of the liver is real bad. I better, better have a baby. <laughs> so you can raise them up and harvest it. You can take pieces, right? <laughs> It sounds like ludicrous, right? It's like, oh my gosh, Jay, you're tap dancing on something dangerous here, right? But look, look, but we attribute that to God, right? We look at God and we think, oh, He must need worship. He must need something from me, because why else would He create me? But why, why would we attribute that logic to Him when we don't create our own kids in our perfect, well, perfect messed up state? You know, redeemed, thank you, Jesus. But like in our messed up state right? We still know how to treat our kids well. Even Jesus talked about it. He said, if your child asks you for bread, would you give him a stone? Would you give him a snake? So if we being evil, not all y'all, because you're redeemed, I get it, but like, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more our heavenly fathers? So how can we begin to attribute the, the thought that God, you, you must not have pure motives in your love for me because it's too rich. It's too extravagant. There's got to be a reason for why you need this from me. So I'm going to project the logic of the fishbowl that says, you need something from me, because I got to believe that there's some kind of check and balance here, that there's a reason that you love me the way that you do. And we forget that this is how God creates that our, our marriages and our children are a reflection of his nature. That is why when you are having kids and you're at home and, and moms are making sacrifices to quit working and parents are staying up all night soaking, God knows how much money by the time we're all said and done, right? Don't even get me started on the, pri- on the Christian school tuition I'm paying. It's more than my first college year at YSU that I took but we're soaking all of that time and energy because it is a reflection of of how God treats us, but also how he operates, right? God designed marriage to be between one man and one woman. And that out of the overflow of the love and intimacy shared exclusively between them, exclusively, nobody else. You catch what I'm throwing down here. Uh, Something... But that intimacy shared between them, something could be born that looks like them. You see, this is how God creates. He was complete within himself, He wasn't trying to get organs from us. So when He breathed His life into the mud, we came out looking like Him. We're created in His image. So if you're a whole person, and when I say whole person, this is Jay's definition, the J a. translation of whole person. I'm not saying that you're perfect, I'm not saying that you've got it all together. We've all got spots that the Lord is working on in us. We are all never going to be a finished product because this side of heaven, we're never going to be done. I'm a firm believer that this is the prequel to the greater story of your life. That everything that happens on this earth is not the end story, but it's just the, it's the preface to your main story, right? So what we're getting here is just the beginning. It's just the starter. It's just the taster. But if you're a whole person and the Lord is living inside of you, the Holy Spirit's resting and working with you and saying, no, don't say that, don't say that, oh, don't do that, (laughs) then your automatic response when it comes to your kids is to give them whatever they need, right? You're going to surround them with all the support you carry. You're going to pour love and affirmation into their little souls because you have switched out of selfish mode and you're not living for something beyond yourself, so God, his nature, how he thinks, how he moves, decides, all those things were intact before us. So he was a promise keeper before he ever made us, and he'll be long after all this is lit up. Lit up. So, I'm skipping all my notes again, sorry. Second 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. You know, I read this really interesting article. It talks about how when we read the scriptures, we think about it from a Greek mindset. And we look at things like faithfulness as like a quality that we have or like kind of a possession. I have a laptop here that I'm using for my notes, you know. But, but the Hebrew like approach to it isn't that faithful is a quality but it is a part, it extends from their being. So God is faithfulness. It's not just something that he carries benevolently in his palm, he is faithfulness embodied, it is who he is. It's not just some kind of thing he holds, it's a fabric of who he is, right? So God is faithful even when we're not, because he's not gonna deny who he is. So there's something that is recalibrated in you, When you remind yourself and speak that promise from God out loud, when we bring God's promises before him, he takes a lot of pleasure in that, not because he's trying to, he forgot, (laughs) but because he can look at you and smile and say, you were listening. So, you know, promises from God, and this is the best example I can give you. How many of y'all love Rachel Todd in the room? Worship leader Admin Extraordinary Rachel Todd. Well, she hitched a ride with me and my wife to this worship event um, on Saturday at Dave and Buster's, which, by the way, was really cool. If you haven't been, you need to go. They have an axe-throwing game now where you can like throw an axe into a target. Oh, I was living in my paradise. I only got one bullseye; the rest of them just bounced right off. But it happened. Anyway, so we're in the middle of this rain. It's like, you know, before all, you know, Ohio weather. It's it's 70 degrees, it rains, and that snows like eight inches the next day. So that we were in the pre-snow phase where it was just like a cold rain. And we look out the window and Rachel starts geeking out. She's like, There's a rainbow, a double rainbow stretched across the sky. And all of a sudden she opens both windows on the side. I'm getting like saturated, not in the anointing, but in like the rain. And Rachel's leaning out the car window with her phone. Trying 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 to take a picture, just going, it's so beautiful! Sorry, Jay! And she's taking a video as I'm getting soaked. And my point with all of this is, is that our promises from God feel like that sometimes, right? A rainbow stretched in the sky in the middle of the rain, something temporary that we don't ever really fully get to look at because we're driving and we're, we're trying to focus on what we're doing, but the promise is in the horizon, but it's only there for a moment and then it and then it disappears. So what we try to do is we try to take snapshots, mental memory pictures of what that promise looked like, but it remains something intangible, something that we can't touch. So we, we refer to the memory of what it looked like while, while we go on about our lives. And the truth is that the snapshot, the memory, the picture never encapsulates the fullness of the beauty of that rainbow of what God was saying in that moment when the promise extended out of his mouth, right? So we, we, we grow into this place where we start to live off of the memory of the promise instead of receiving the promise into our own heart. We try to look at it and say, well, he promised that and then move on with our life. But if you've received a promise and some of you gave yourselves away because you, you already told me, And then the other pieces, I think I looked at the light too long because I'm seeing a bunch of, like, black spots. (laughs) You know, this is just the joys of turning, you know, getting older, I suppose. Um, When you receive a promise of God, you realize one thing about it. It is resilient. Right? It's like hope. It's hard to kill. Is anybody tracking with me? Prince of Egypt? No? There can be miracles when you believe. I couldn't take that line, you know, because I wrote that down. So it's like, oh, it's hard to kill. And I just heard Whitney Houston in my head, and I was like, no one's going to buy that. I have to let them know. That's where it came from. Prince of Egypt, great movie. Um, but a promise is resilient. Disappointment, and unkind word. Skepticism can't destroy it. Right? There's something calibrated in our being that registers that a promise from God, a word from God, it clicks in our DNA. Because if you think about it, his word is the code that is the building blocks of life. We're made up of his words, right? He, he spoke every, everything with us. We say something, it creates... Uh, sound waves and it hits the ears of people and there's an effect from that but when god speaks things just start to take shape and happen right things are formed from nothing and so we are technically words that he's spoken right we're living in the source code of his word and you know i look out of this room tonight and i see a big a big paragraph that the father is writing so many different words represented here all together in a big paragraph and the best way that I can explain this to you—sorry if I'm being super secular tonight—but um, okay, um, Independence Day. Has anybody ever seen that movie? Such a tepid response for like such a classic movie. It, it's so good. I mean, I mean, I don't, I don't expect anyone to quote it, but kind of. Um, well, in Independence Day. You, you know the story. It's, it's the same story as all the Alien movies. They come in, we're outgunned, we're outsmarted, we're outnumbered, and they're just blowing up cities, and people are hiding in hallways as the flames just consume us all. But at the end of the movie, there's always some kind of plot twist because humans, we might not be the uh, most advanced technologically, you know, according to the Aliens that I am not saying exists. Um, (laughs) But we're scrappy. We think things through differently, right? And we always come up with some kind of slightly sneaky, inventive way to win, right? So in this movie, we have nothing that we can do. So their plan is they're going to put a nuke in this ship, this ship that crash-landed in the 50s, Area 51. If you remember the movie, The Guy with the Weird Long Hair... He was really excited about it because when the aliens showed up again, the ship lit up and started to kind of like do things it couldn't do before because the mothership was close by. So anyways, they they send Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum up in this spaceship up into the, to the mothership and when they get to the doors, they get through all the security. Why? Because it's made of the same hardware. It's the same connection point. And so that is what like a promise of God is from your life. He speaks it to you and it comes into your life and you're like you're stewarding it. You're holding on to it. you're putting it in a closet you're throwing it into the ground because you're frustrated and all of a sudden when the Lord begins to say it, it's time for this thing to come back to life and all the gizmos and gadgets start lighting up again and you realize oh so the word that the Lord has given me I am a word that the Lord has spoken this wor- this promise is also a word that he has spoken we both came from the same source we both came from the same mouth so when you hear the promise of God something happens in a physical way that maybe science can can't explain, but I'm really convinced that one day it will be able to see that we are the that we are the result of the word of God. I don't know what happened to my voice just then, but we're the result of the word of God, right? That we're kind of built up from something that we can't fully like articulate in our science yet, but science may one day prove that we that we can see how we are. I don't know if it's spiritual quotations or something, but that we're like the word of God. So when we get the promise of God, it's as ironclad as our origin because they both came out of the mouth and heart of the Father. So we're apprehending the promises of God in our life from a position of victory and rest, right? I'm just letting you guys have that moment. Victory and rest sounds pretty great, right? What does it make you think of just like a porch swing? Just cool glass of lemonade, relaxing night. Okay, end of that moment because we're going to go into it now. So, this this doesn't mean that we're just relaxing. You know, I, if I had a nickel for every time, we'll, we'll up the ante because of inflation. I mean, I don't know if you've noticed it's going up. So, if I had $5 for every time somebody said, I'm just waiting for the Lord to open the door. I've got a, no, well, maybe it's not. But maybe it is. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. What are you doing with the waiting? How are you orienting your life into where the Lord is leading you? You know, some of you sitting here tonight, you would say that the Lord's giving you a vision to touch the nations, lead a healing ministry. And I want you to picture that. Close your eyes for a second. The most fantastic, spectacular thing that you feel like the Lord said was a possibility for your life. Picture it in your mind's eye if you're gonna stand on platform and speak to the unsaved and the hundreds of thousands of people right our bonky, like millions of people listening to. To the message of God coming through your mouth. I want you to fantasize about what you would be doing during that season of your life. You'd probably say, Well, Brother Jay, I'd be reading the scriptures every day, I'd be praying, I'd be engaging, I'd be, um, I'd be fasting 24 7 except not all the time but just frequently i'll be doing all of these things and i'm going to build up my strength so that i can bring the breakthrough for countless others and you start to think about all of these things that you would do to prepare yourself for that level of responsibility okay you can open your eyes because i don't want you to fall asleep on me um i've got news for you if you're not contending now then you won't do it then This is not how the kingdom works. You see, the Lord gives you something small to steward so that you'll be ready for the increase. You know, a lot of us, we like to use that scripture. We go, someone's saying, I'm having a hard time. It's just really hard what I'm doing. And we say, oh, well, it's, don't despise the day of small beginnings. Poor you. You know, but what if the scripture is saying something different about that? What if not despising the day of small beginnings is to remind you that what you have in seed form, what you have that is small is something that you will steward. And that if you will do the same disciplines and principles when it is small, then the Lord knows that you are ready to do the same principles and the same habits when it gets big. If you're not contending for the promise and living at the level that you expect when it breaks through, then you won't do it when it gets big. And it won't get big because you're not doing those principles. You're not doing those disciplines, right? So if you want to be a songwriter, if you want to preach the gospel, if you want to lead large teams, then what are you doing right now with what the Lord has put in front of you? Some of you have been standing in the hallway for years, looking at the closed doors and wondering why. When the answer has been in the assignment that's been in your hands all along, that written in the fine print is everything that you need to step into the next level of what God has for you. But it's not going to open the doors until you recognize that the breakthrough isn't in your future. It is not in the promise that is for tomorrow. It is in the thing that is right in front of you today. And the question is, what will you do with what the Lord has entrusted you now? Not in the future, not not weeks from now, or when you're more mature, or when the resources are right, that is fishbowl thinking. It is when you start to recognize that the Lord has put this in me, and I have a responsibility, and I have an opportunity to either do the right things now, to see it grow, to see it manifest in my life, or I can just let it sit there, and in the name of waiting, stay in the hallway. It's not meant to just be this place where we're kind of waiting for the doors to open. The word wait, when you break it down in the original language, it doesn't even mean standing there doing nothing. It means braided, to be entwined. So when it says to wait on the Lord, it's saying to be braided into the promises and intentions of God. It's gonna get better, I promise. (laughs) Oh, you know, all my life, my my first song that I wrote was terrible. I could sing it for you now, but I don't think I'm going to. Do you wanna hear it? (laughs) I wrote it down on a piece of paper with a red magic marker. You couldn't read the lyrics at all. It said something like, it was like pledge allegiance to the flag. It was like, I pledge my life and all I have to the one true son of man. Very Assembly of God. I want to live my life with him. There's nothing I want more than loving you. And I thought it was just like a, it was a banger. I thought this is going to touch the nations. So I took that little piece of paper with its red magic marker and I gave it to my music, my worship pastor, like nine-year-old. I'm like, you might want to try to check this one out for Sunday morning. I mean, you might want to try to do it. You know, some things haven't changed. Um, (laughs) But, you know, I spent a lot of years really kind of Spotty writing, have you ever felt like that? How many creatives do I have in the room? you write when you're inspired, right? An idea strikes you, some kind of like circumstance happens, and you're like, oh my gosh, I need to write this song, and then it comes out so beautifully, fluidly, sometimes not, but you know, in those moments of inspiration, the idea just flows, and you think, man, this is what songwriting is, this is what creating is, oh, it feels so good, and then you go to write another song, and it's like banging your head up against a brick wall, and you're chiseling, and nothing's coming out, because you didn't realize that songwriting isn't a gift, it's a craft, it's something that you have to work and exercise and develop, right? So so I, I can say for all day long that I wanted to be a songwriter or to write stories or to be creative and I'm going to wait to be inspired but I'll be waiting forever for that right because it's not going to actually happen until you pick up the pen and you start to steward the promise that the Lord has given you so while you're being braided into the promises of God I'm going to leave you with just a couple of tools while you're being braided, what strategies of war are at your fingertips and how do you apprehend the promise? I've got three practical tools for you, for you to apprehend whatever promise the Lord has given you. And the number one that I give you tonight, these aren't like, you're not going to be like, wow, Jay, that's, I've never thought of that before. These, but you know what? A lot of times in the kingdom, I don't think it is flashy. It's not meant to be like, what a great mic drop. What a great quote. What a great this. Truth. She might not be flashy, but she reveals all in the end. As time goes on, truth always reveals it, right? Where somebody's heart's at, what they're doing with their life, someone's trying to be shady, do something behind your back, truth always comes out through time. So the number one tool is remember. Your testimony Is critical to your success in apprehending a promise from God because testimonies build faith. It reminds us that if he showed up in my life this way in the past, he can do it again. If he brought breakthrough into someone else's life around me, some of y'all probably never jealous, right? But have you ever looked at somebody and you saw the breakthrough in their life and you felt jealous about it? Instead of saying, I can celebrate that if God broke through for them, it is an indicator of what he wants to do in me that there's not just one piece of pie to be had here, but if the Lord's breaking through in that specific way, maybe the Lord, maybe it's not being sent to me to make me jealous. Maybe it's not being sent to discourage me. Maybe it's being sent to remind me that if he's breaking through in that person, it is because of the promises of God, the braiding that they're doing in their life, And that if I will do the same work, if I'll do the same entwining and waiting in the presence of God, that he can break through in me. Hmm. I remember um, when I was called to be a pastor, just to make a long story short, when I was a kid, I had a dream. I knew exactly what I wanted to do with my life. It hit me, and I just knew. I knew that I was going to become a meteorologist. No other man, actually. That's what I wanted to be. You know, at first I wanted to chase tornadoes, but my mom said, you know, people die doing that. So I thought but i know that's i figured the guy warning people at the screen you know pointing to it that's close that's close to the action but not like dangerous I used to run drills as a kid I'd grab like you know something valuable like I took violin lessons I never practiced but I thought oh, it's expensive so I'd grab it and I would time myself 60 seconds to see if I could make it to the basement in time because they say that's how long you have when the sirens go off so whenever there was a storm I'd turn on the weather channel and pray and hope for a tornado warning to pop up and then I'd run downstairs and I'd like wait for the world to end (laughs) Until so one, one day in Sunday school, I was sitting on this yellow chair, um, and I just had this picture of, of being a pastor. I saw a pastor who inspired me, Pastor Brad. Nobody knows who he is, Burris. Everyone knows Brad. And so I asked my dad after church, I said, well, how does somebody become a pastor? And I'm expecting some kind of like, well, they go to school and they do this and this. My dad goes, well, son, the Lord calls them. And I thought, like, on the phone? <laughs> I was like, like, you're going to have to help me out here. <laughs> How do you know if you're called? Because, you know, I was just such a weird, quirky kid. If you, I mean, I don't know who else drinks about being a weatherman, but the quirky ones. But, um... I just knew that I had this, like, burning desire to be a pastor before I even really knew what that meant. I was just so worried that the Lord wasn't asking me to do it and that this picture came from nowhere. So I, I asked the Lord for a confirmation. I was sitting in my parents' room, and I put my hands on the table, and I said, Lord, Lord, I'm not even playing with you. This is what I said. I said, Lord, if you've called me to be a pastor, I ask that you would make my right pinky twitch right now. So I stared at my hand and I waited, nothing. And all of a sudden, boop, I was like, I'm called to be a pastor. <laughs> so I signed up for baptisms and I told the church and it was the assembly of God and you know how they are about like, you know, I'm called to be a pastor. So I said it and the whole church just erupted and they're like, ah. <laughs> but you know what? I think that the proof of a promise of God is that it's something that's cemented in your heart. So, you know, later in life when I saw Armageddon and I thought I want to be an oil rigger, <laughs> and other things like that, I always got moved back into the promise. You see, we need to remember our story, our testimony, because nobody can take it from you. No one can take away what the Lord has done for you. No one can argue out argue out your personal history with the Lord. It's a monument in your life. that's really important because we need to remember that because our promises are always tested. If Jesus was called out by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, to think that we are going to be able to kind of waltz through the promise with ease and and without testing is just proof that we don't really understand the process. You see, the testing is part of the strengthening. The Lord is going to test the promise, because not because he needs to see it from you. He already knows what you're made of, but that so you will grow, so you'll start to see what you're made of, so you can start to see what the Lord is has done in you and what he's intended for you and begin to orient your life into it the second piece we remember our testimony number two we worship let's pretend that you are king for a day or queen and you can snap your fingers and have anything you want so go ahead snap your finger think about what you want whatever it is that was just fun i'd like to hear you snap there wasn't really a point God has this power, though. He can snap his fingers in anything he wants, would be surrounding him. And so you got to think about that. He is the master architect. Everything created in the heavens and the earth, he made, he spoke, he imagined, he designed, and he can have anything. He can have whatever food he wants, whatever event he wants, but what does he decide to surround himself with? He surrounds himself with living instruments and angels of fire and worship. So if the Lord of heaven and earth, who created everything that you see, chooses above everything else to have worship continually surrounding him, it says, in the word, the angels have been circling him since their creation, saying, Holy is the Lord, there's nobody like you, over and over and over again, since the dawn of creation when he breathed them into existence. Whatever he did, angels. They're crying out holy, which means set apart and different. Worship has a way of breaking open the atmosphere and blurring the line between heaven and earth. So we remember our testimony. And then in the light of that memory and looking at Jesus and recalibrating our hearts about who he is, we worship him and that pulls us into the present moment. It takes us out of wishing for the future, regretting the past. It fixates us on the one place that matters, which is the present, where time touches eternity, because that is where we can touch the heart of God, this side of heaven. You can't touch him in the future. You can't touch him in the past. You can only touch him now, in the present. And worship centers our hearts into eternity's time currency, which is the present. You think about worship over and over in the Bible. Um, in Jericho, they marched around and blue trumpets and the walls fell. Elijah was having a showdown with the prophets of Baal. Fire called down. Where did it land? On the altar, the place of worship. When Saul was tormented by an evil spirit, he sent for David. Why? Because worship brought peace. When, when David was being pursued by Saul and hiding in caves, what did he do? And he penned songs that are sung today all over the world and forever in the Psalms. I could keep going on and on, and I'm skipping like three pages, by the way, because I know we have to wrap it up. But the last one, we remember, we worship, and then we surrender again. We surrender our thoughts and our, our harmful mindsets. I call it stinking thinking. I know you probably heard that term before. A mentor of mine used to call it that. Because the mind, the mindsets, you, you have a choice. You see, thoughts have a fragrance, The only way I can describe this, and then we're going to wrap it up, I promise. I'm like your classic preacher, closing eight times. My grandma had dementia, and she um, used to hide food in places around the house, perishable foods. And so one day we couldn't find a bunch of flies in the house anywhere. And so I tracked it down, and then I found in her purse, there was like nine desiccated bananas in there and like a whole batillion. It was like Mardi Gras flies. It was just a million of them. And I thought to myself, while the flies were... (laughs) interesting moment. when the flies are flying, I mean, I thought, you know, this is a lot about, like, our, like our thoughts, right? If we have decaying thoughts if we have ideas, it attracts the reality of who they're in line with, right? Because our thoughts can be in line with the kingdom of God and what he wants to release. So in our promises, we can be in line with his nature, who he is, and how he never fails. Or we can be in line with the fleshly and the fishbowl logic saying, this hasn't happened yet. Maybe it never will. Maybe the Lord isn't faithful. Maybe I'm going to question him. And each thought takes you on a different path. One leads you to the Lord in the manifestation of your promise. The other attracts the kingdom of darkness, And so we surrender our thoughts and our mindsets to to not just have zero control, but to undergo the process of being transformed by His Spirit so that we can think like Him and see Him rightly. So tonight, we want to surrender to heaven's process by being present in this moment. You know, I want to pray for anyone here tonight for, for the breakthrough of the promise that you would apprehend what the Lord has said he would do in your life. So if you have a promise that you are serious about, please hold off for a second. Don't stand up if you're not. If the Lord's given you a promise that you are serious about starting a steward, that you have something in you, whether it's, I don't know, books. I always go creative because that's where my mind is. And I think, what do other people think about doing? But but, but there are other dreams and there are other things here, you know? Whatever that is, whatever the Lord has promised you, whatever whatever that Thing that he's ingrained in your heart is if you were willing to begin stewarding that and letting the Lord move it that you, would, that you would look at the Lord and remember who he is in the testimony worship and then surrender if that's you I want to pray for you would you just stand up and I'm going to pray for God's next step for your life that's where we get choked up isn't it We get afraid of what the next move is. We're like, Lord, but I don't know what the next move is. Or we start to kind of think like the fishbowl, right? We start to think, I don't have the resources. I don't have the right connections. I don't have the money. I don't have the right education. I don't have everything that I need to see this happen. So Lord, how could this possibly be you? And we start to think about the fishbowl logic instead of thinking the Lord is not bound by my circumstances. He's not bound by my limitations. And if he's promised Promising me something, then there is a route, there is a path, there is something that I can do today, whether I understand it or not, that I can ask the Lord, that He will speak to me, that will begin to open up the doors, that will begin to turn the wheel and start the momentum in my life for this promise. But I have to get His, His voice. I have to listen. I have to calm down and stop letting my thoughts spoil my ability to align with what God has said He wants to do in my life. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, every promise represented here, standing here tonight, Lord, I thank you that it is a word that you have spoken, just like that person standing up has a rich history and heritage with you, and things that you've said and done as a result, Lord, that they are a word you spoke that took on a mind of its own and a life of its own and is living and thinking and surrendering to you. Lord, I thank you that the promise has the same creative power, Lord, that you you spoke it to them and you gave it to them because you trusted them to steward and that even if they've waited in the hallway for too long, even if they feel